Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book and chapter by chapter. We did another one. We did the whole book of Haggai, too. Of course, uh, <clears throat> of, ha- of Haggai, only two chapters, so uh, not that much of an accomplishment. But uh, we are pairing it with the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah, we're going to see in many ways, is the natural complement of Haggai. Uh, I mean, it's almost like the same situation that you have with like Ezra and Nehemiah, where these two books just uh, go together. Not not quite to that extent, but we're going to see some really big overlap, and these pieces are going to fall into place here as we're seeing uh, all of these visions, and that's going to be the thing that's going to be really different about Zechariah. Uh, it's still talking about this situation. We got to rebuild the temple. Uh, we can't just leave the house of God in ruins while everyone is more concerned with how their own house looks. So same kind of setting, but yes, oh man, buckle your seatbelts. The visions that we have are something. Uh, They're really only, the the things that are most like are the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. So really interesting stuff that we have to take a look at today and going forward. And joining us today for our discussion on the vision of the horseman, we have Pastor David Boisclair, returning pastor of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Churches and Pine Lawn, Missouri. Welcome back, brother. So cool yeah. that you get to start a new book with us. I today. know that's always exciting. Uh, then we get to do isagogics. <laughs> They're leading well, into uh, the study. <laughs> not too, yeah, not well, too heavy, though. Not too heavy. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and a lot of it it does overlap with with Haggai in a lot of ways too. Oh, oh yes. But but yeah, so the uh, the visions though in in Zechariah they're just. I mean, they're they're so interesting because they're, like I was saying, they're they're sort of similar in different ways to the stuff that you'll see, that we see in Daniel and and Revelation. But I mean, some of these just feel really unique. And I feel like it's the stuff that people can often be like, wow, I I forgot that that was in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's uh, you know it it it, it kind of um, is is really puzzling at times. You wonder, well, what what is God trying to tell me here? What's what's um, what's what's going on? And uh, what what and and then of course they, but a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is. And you know, I'm reminded of, I mean, just yesterday, right? We speaking of mysterious pictures, we had you know the the celebration of the transfiguration of our Lord and. You know, certainly when, you know, our Lord is transfigured up there on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah appear, I mean, the disciples didn't know what to make of it. I mean, they they had ideas, they had they had guesses, and, you know, even down to today, we, we've been kind of debating what, what exactly was the significance of this vision. But it's uh, it really is something, as you were saying, that God doesn't just give us, uh, you know, lists or maps. He doesn't just give us kind of prose or, or kind of logical arguments. He gives us pictures too. He, he's revealing mm-hmm. himself in all these different ways, and there is just something about a picture that you just get to take a step back and just kind of look at it for a while, like the same way you might, like when you're actually looking at like an actual picture, like you just it, it requires some some contemplation. It's a different kind of mode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it is exciting to get into the book of Zechariah today. Uh, we've got uh, it, this chapter, you know, it's not one of the longest chapters, but as you were saying, I mean, it's just, it's going to be something that we have to kind of, uh, one, we got to put into context and then two, we have to kind of puzzle over. So 
Uh, right. So let's, without any further ado, uh, turn to the chapter as we do. Would you say a prayer, brother, for us and for everyone listening along today? I'd be delighted. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your gospel of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. Unite our hearts in him to desire to study your word. May your spirit guide us as we begin and continue to study his word given to your servant, the prophet Zechariah. Grant that we may be strengthened in our faith and life in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So maybe just read, as, as we've been kind of doing lately, just the first verse, because that'll, I think, kind of help us introduce the, uh, the isagogics. That's, that's, a, that's a fun word right there, um, as you, as you were <laughs> mentioning earlier. So let's just read the first verse of Zechariah chapter 1. Um, and then kind of consider, okay, now where where is this landing here? So, first verse. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying... All right, so before we turn to the actual quote, right? So, this should sound kind of familiar if uh, if everyone caught last week's episodes on Haggai. Uh, it's relative dating based on the reign of Darius, you know, and we and we know Darius a little bit from from Daniel and from Ezra, um, what, the guy who was who was there when the Persians rolled into town, and so strikingly, this is uh, really clearly overlapping with Haggai, right? Right, exactly. Um, I think um, Zechariah's call to um, be prophet, or the word of God came to him what um, a month or two months after uh, Haggai was given uh, the same summons. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were they were like twin prophets um, that were urging you know the people of God to build a temple or rebuild a temple at this time. Right, and we know right, yeah, Darius, they... of course, reigned mm-hmm. from 522 to 486 BC, and so mm-hmm. we can that that helps us date. Uh, these prophets uh, accurately, like in uh, right. uh, the year 520 B.C. Um, and they, they came back with, uh, I think you mentioned probably in prior lessons, with Zerubbabel and Joshua from, mm-hmm. from Babylon. And um, so, so it, it kind of, and it was a time of a little bit time of unrest because in Darius's coming to the throne, you know, his, he succeeded Cyrus's son, Cambyses, and uh, there, you know, there were some, uh, re, you know, revolt against that. Uh, suppose it, it was alleged that Darius had killed um, one of Cyrus's son, sons, Bardia or whatever his name is. And uh, mm-hmm. so there were some that were were revolting. And it says that Cyrus, or Darius, with uh, you know his small military force, was able to put down all of these, um, uh, you know, uprisings. And and uh, Darius also had the same policy as Cyrus, the you know to to basically honor the religions of all of the all of the nations within his right. empire, and and so uh, in, in it was in 519 that uh, Darius uh, authorized the rebuilding of the temple. Right. Well, and, and that's uh, that's very helpful for uh, you to kind of remind us here, uh, even though the the prophets 
and and a lot of these uh, historical documents will just be dating things in terms of you know this king, this king, that king. It, it's it's not like we're talking about you know. And, and then during the third year of the Obama administration or the second year during the Trump administration, like as if this all just kind of like happens, right? Like in an orderly, <laughs> right, right. predictable sort way. Of, it's just like, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, turmoil going on in between administrations. And as you were saying, you know, yeah, in, the, in this case, you know, Darius ends up kind of honoring um, and, and executing a lot of the same policies um, as, as Cyrus. But that's not always a given. And we and we saw that when we were looking right. at Ezra, that like you go from one king to the next and then the next king's like, oh, I don't I don't think so. You know, and like, yeah. ah, second yeah. thought, no. So it's it's not it, it is, as you were saying, it's an uneasy um, experience. So you're just like, oh, OK, new king. What's what, what are we going to do? What's this going to be like? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Sort of a lot of uncertainty about it. Right, and, right, uh, and 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 of course they they're also the emphasis that the the um, the those who returned from exile were not very wealthy. Um, you know, they there were there was a lot of uh, financial challenges. Um, right. You know, and and so that's that's of course why Haggai has to encourage them as he does, and 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 Zechariah of course uh, also um, is is letting them know that God's. Uh, God's got their back. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Ex- exactly. So even though things look, look bad, right. It's, um, I mean, really that, that was, I mean, so much of what Haggai was, right. Like this idea, things are looking bad and, and yeah, in, in a lot of ways they're bad because of disobedience and a lack of faith. Right. I mean, God's yeah. sent this, um, drought. And I mean, and we didn't even really talk about this, but at the end of Haggai, it's like, it, does, it doesn't even just say drought. It's like, you know, blight and uh, like hail storms. And so it's um, all kinds of uh, stuff that they're dealing with in this situation. Right. But but he has this uh, description, you know, I will shake the the heavens. Right. What it says there in Haggai, too. And so, yeah, in, in the midst of this turmoil, as you were describing, God is working his purpose purposes and he's going to bless uh, his people in the midst of all this and all this uncertainty. So, yeah. So, uh, eight month, the eighth month, and the second year of Darius. That that's like right in between those uh, two halves of Haggai chapter two um, mm-hmm. that we were looking at. So, as you were saying, that they're they're in parallel hill here, like uh, like twin prophets. I like I like that expression. And, and it's it's no, noticeable too that um, that. There, there's sometimes there's a little discrepancy like between um, Ezra and Nehemiah who mentioned Zechariah, and they speak of him as the son of Ido, and in this case uh, it says he is the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, right. um, and and um, in in uh, the Kyle Dalich commentary, of course, and I think it's pretty much what we follow in in like in our study Bible is that uh, he he was a young man. Zechariah was a young man, and um, his father died uh, early, and so so Ido, of course, was the one who was um, uh, the leader of that priestly, um, you know. Section uh, of, of of the of the exiles coming back, and, right. and uh, so so we know that Zechariah was a priest as well. You know, just yes. like just like Jeremiah, or from a priestly family, Lev- Levitical family, like Zechariah, or like Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel. So so um, 
Uh, Zechariah was also from a priestly line or the priest right. family. Yeah, no, and that's a that's a helpful note too. Of course, um, you, you know, I mean, uh, we we we're not we're not uh, really thrown off by that too much. We we've seen in Numbers and Joshua how you know the uh, the priests can be referred to as sons of Aaron, and of course, no one thinks that they're <laughs> his direct descendants, right? But as you were saying, right, um, right. it can be it can be a signal for like a priestly order. So right, he's a he's a son of. Ido in this sense, even if Ido is technically grandpa to him, right? Right, um, exactly. So, exactly. Right, right, yeah. And, and it is helpful to see, though, that we do have, he's not just a prophet, he's a priest, which which is going to change. I mean, we've seen we've seen this, how when you when you get a prophet who's also a priest, that, that changes the perspective some. It's going to be more temple-oriented then, and that's going to be really consistent with what we see um, I mean, maybe not as much in this chapter, but really, once we get to chapters uh, two and three and four um, and five, a lot of this very like temple-ish imagery, um, seemingly like mm-hmm. things from the perspective of the temple. So, exactly. So, uh, so, keeping those sorts of things in mind, then, well, let's turn to the actual the actual quote here. So, this um, this expression is a little bit closer to the usual one, um, unlike what we had in Haggai, where he was just saying like, you know, well, you know, the word of the Lord, you know, it, it fell upon or, or went to uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua just by means of Haggai. This is kind of the more usual expression that it, that it came to or fell upon um, actual, uh, the actual prophet here, Zechariah. So what, what was this word that came to him? So here it is in verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they reported and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So uh, certainly a way of uh, <laughs> calling to attention, <laughs> getting somebody's attention, right? Like, hey, everybody, um, this is God speaking here. You don't want to ignore this because it didn't work out so well for your ancestors. Right. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's kind of perks them up by the fact that it says the Lord is angry or, well, it says was angry, very angry with your fathers. And, right. and that's, that's of course the, um, kind of the theme in, in Daniel too. I mean, Daniel is very conscious of God's wrath against, uh, his people because of their sins and um, this, of course, is take, picked up by, by the prophets, um, uh, you know, who are known as the latter prophets. Interesting, it mentions the former yeah. prophets. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a, a um, uh, you know, in the Word of God, we also find a way of categorizing the books of the Bible. There's right. the former prophets, which would be like uh, the writings from Joshua all the way to um, Isaiah, and it's Isaiah and, and the, who are the major prophets, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and uh, 
Ezekiel and Daniel, and then the minor prophets, which are these 12, uh, which among which number Zechariah is, is are known right. as the latter prophets. And and uh, but then but then God says, well, they're not eternal. They're they're uh, where are they? <laughs> they're not they're not here anymore. It is I, the Lord, of course, who is eternal, which is which is a comforting statement in the midst of the fact that that he has been his wrath has been kindled against his people. Right, that's true. It's not as if you know nothing is constant. It's not as if um, there's you know we we had old gods and then there's new gods, and it is remarkable how that idea is actually just not uncommon among the the peoples and cultures of the world that if something undergoes a really big paradigm shift, a new empire arises, there are new gods or, a, or at least some kind of chief new god or something. It seems like that it, there's a parallel between the, the new order that's going on in the world and some kind of new happenings in the in, in the in the heavens, right? But yeah. that's that's not the message, right? I mean, kind of almost surprisingly, of of the prophets of of Yahweh, they say like, no, um, even though everything has changed, and I mean, it, I mean, it's just it's something that even though there's there's no Davidic monarchy here anymore, Zerubbabel is not a king, he's not a Messiah, he's not a, a son of God in this in the sense that you know his his ancestors were. He's just a a governor. He, he's been appointed by the Persians. Yeah. And, and yet, despite this pretty important difference, yeah, they're, they're not backing down an inch from the idea that, no, it's still the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, that's in charge of everything. That has not changed, uh, not at all. And, and God's promise has not changed. I mean, to David, he said, there, there shall never, or, or I think it was a, to Solomon, there shall never lack a man. You know, in other words, Zerubbabel, although he isn't king, uh, is eligible to be king because he is, he is um, the uh, descendant of David. And, and so there is always uh, that, that line of David which continues unbroken from the time of David uh, all the way to this point. And, and right, it, it's sort of got a fulfillment of God's prophecy. There shall never lack a man to right. uh, be for the throne of David. Well, yeah, and that, I was going to say that just recalls what, the last thing we read in Haggai, right? That, like at the very end of Haggai chapter 2, uh, there's, there's just these words of, um, that, that God speaks to Zerubbabel. And even though he is just a governor, he says, you know, um, I'll make you... Uh, or I've made you like a signet ring, and I have chosen you, right? And so just this very messianic language. Um, but, yes. you know, e- even though despite these circumstances, right, um, you know, that this is God working and, and keeping his promises, like you were saying. So so, so here we have you know, the call to attention. Um, hey, guys, I'm, I'm speaking for... Um, the the eternal God and I I might not be around uh, for for very long we might not be for around for very long but this word will be so um, hey pay attention so what's he gonna say um, and and there seems to be you know even though uh, th- this seems to be some kind of like I guess it, it reminds me of when we have the New Testament description of John the Baptist how you know uh, we have just a very, very brief description of what he went around saying, right? It was like, and then John, John the Baptist went around saying, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, right? Um, 
and sometimes people look at that like, hey, look at that, Pastor. Like, your your sermon could be that short, right? You know, apparently it works for oh. John the Baptist. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is like the briefest and briefest of summaries, you know. Uh, this yeah. is like the the, the the super condensed executive, uh, you know, version of this, the executive summary. So similarly, this seems like this is just kind of the introduction to how Zechariah appears onto the scene in the eighth month, um, we don't actually get to hear any of the sermons that he preached <laughs> in the, in right. the eighth, ninth or, or 10th, or even the first part of the 11th month. The next thing we get is a vision, um, that happens more than three months later. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so the, um, uh, you know, and then, and that of course is the kind of the way in, in the word of God, it, it, it summarizes, uh, these sermons. Um, uh, they, they probably, uh, expanded on, on uh, these words, uh, you know, Jesus's sermons are, are this, were pretty much the same as John the Baptist: repent and believe that you know the kingdom of heaven right. is here or is at hand. Uh, repent and believe the gospel, and 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 the theme is correct here. The the the, the word is is so um, important here to repent and to turn mm. to the Lord. The need, even as Christ said to Nicodemus, um, uh, that uh, unless you are born anew uh, of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And, and that, that's, that's kind of, that's the first principle of, of um, being, being a Christian. I like one time in, in uh, one, one film, The Silver Chalice, where uh, they have uh, Luke, the evangelist, talking to a, a, a Gentile, and he says, uh, anybody you meet, uh, unless he's changed his mind, is not a Christian, <laughs> something of that order, because that's hmm. basically what the word repentance means. Of course, right. the Hebrews had the idea of turning and going into the opposite direction. You know, right. they're more, you know they, they were very uh, action, uh, action words uh, you know, and, and visual concepts. If you're going in the wrong direction, you turn around and you go into the correct direction. That's what repent or turn means. In right, case. right. Right, though obviously you can see how the two um, overlap, especially if you have the uh, the the misfortune of of observing me when I'm changing my mind about whether I need to go back to something in the house or in the car, and I turn my direction multiple times before finally settling on a direction. Um, <laughs> changing your mind and changing your direction obviously go uh, very hand in hand. But uh, yeah, that and that's that, that's helpful though to see that. That's probably reason for why it is so condensed and summarized here. It's, it's not an uncommon sermon, right? It's the sermon right. that John the Baptist preached that the Lord preached the sermon that, um, you know, Jonah preached, right? I mean, it's, it's a repent sermon and, uh, we, we right. kind of, uh, we have an idea of what that probably sounded like. And so we have that summary here. Exactly. All right. So he, he begins his preaching. He's working alongside Haggai um, the, but as you were saying, probably the, the younger man here, um, compared to Haggai being uh, older. And yeah. so he, he begins then as he, you know, as he does in the summer summarized portion here. And then we just go right into something new then in verse seven, it's not a description of what he was preaching, but it's a description of the vision. So just very briefly, let's just start reading this, and then we'll have to go into our break, because we're going to go into our break uh, just a minute here. So just the first few verses then of this vision he has, starting in verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, 
I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. All right. So a lot of figures already introduced. Lots of, I mean, there's horses, there's angels, there's men. What's going on here? We got to take a short break, but we'll try to get to these questions in just a minute. We're looking at Zechariah chapter one on thy strong word, and we'll be right back. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive Word and Sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide Word and Sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Hi, folks. This is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Join us for the March on the Arch, Saturday, March 7, a pro-life event for you to confess your belief that life is a sacred, sacred thing. Check-in begins at 11 a.m. and a rally at 1230, and then marching from the West End at Planned Parenthood to the Arch in St. Louis. Check out lcms.org slash marchforlife, lcms.org slash marchforlife. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 1, starting a new book of the Bible. We're joined today by Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. I want to invite our live listeners. If you have a question for me or for Pastor Boyce Clare, you can give us a call. 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Their website is at lhfmissions.org. Thank you for your support. So we just read, and we didn't have any time to discuss it yet, um, just these first few verses of this vision that he has. And so we, we note that you know, apparently this is something that has ta- this vision takes place um, a few 
like at least three uh, months and like 24 days, right, after he starts preaching. So he's been preaching for a while. He's been doing things, right? Uh, a number of sermons have, have happened. Um, and then this vision happens. Um, you know, I guess one thing that maybe is worth mentioning before we look at the actual contents of the vision, you had mentioned earlier, we know that Zechariah is younger, relatively speaking. One yes. of the indications of this seems to be just the fact that he calls the 11th month um, Shabbat that, I mean, if I recall, I think I read somewhere that kind of the older Hebrew uh, convention was to just number the months, but that these uh, month names would have actually been um, a little bit indicative of the influence of the Babylonians. Um, and this is this is kind of one of these many little signs we're going to see here that mm-hmm. Zechariah's style, even though he speaks for the unchanging God, as we were talking about, you can tell that th- there is a different kind of way of talking and even kind of thinking about things. There's influence um, that this whole deal of the exile of Babylon, um, that that influence can be can be seen on him and, and on Israel in general. Yes, and, and, and you know, there's our, um, I think, you know, with, between the, like the first month, the month of Abib, or it's Nisan, or I, I think right. there's one name of a month that was definitely a um, Babylonian god, Tammuz. Uh, yeah. It was, was there as well. Uh, Adar, of course, is a, a month uh, at the end of their year. They, had, they, of course, believed in a solar, I'm not solar, but a, a lunar year, which was only 354 days. And so uh, after so long a period, it, it would, you know, the time would go be so out of whack, you know, <laughs> where they would have to add an extra month. The right. an extra month of Adar in order to make the to bring it up to date. Even even our in our own uh, year, uh, it, uh, each year is three hundred and sixty five point two five days. Yeah, right. and and uh, so after four years, of course, like this year is one of them. You have to have a leap year to to right. uh, get it all back in shape. But we also have, uh, you know, ancient gods uh, as part of our and the. The uh, Norse gods are right. the days of the week, and yep. and uh, there's also the Roman gods are days of uh, are the months of the year, Janus and and uh, February yep. and you know yeah. all of them. Yeah, no, and yeah, Mars. that's right. Yeah, we, you, know, you don't <laughs> you don't stop and think about that very often, but there's uh yeah there's kind of those like uh, references to paganism kind of <laughs> um, at every turn, and you know yes. it's um. Well, I mean, maybe that's a discussion for another time, but I mean, just it's just indicative of how, yeah, he's uh, you know, there's there's the mark of of that kind of influence in the way that he speaks and 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 um, kind of operates here, um, even though the the more important thing is that he speaks for the unchanging God, and what he's going to say is is not altogether different um, from from the way that God has spoken before um, through the prophets in the past, and. Um, even though it's going to be pretty striking, and because it is striking, because what, what's he see? Right, he sees a. He says he he sees in the night. So this is apparently a dream. Um, not that you know we haven't you know seen dreams before. Obviously, the, the the prominent stuff that goes really far back is with Joseph, right, and all the dream interpretation that that he did. But here, the the dream is a man on a red horse says he's standing 
among the myrtle trees. And I know that that was something that, that threw me off at one point. And I had to kind of stop and recall that there's that idiom of um, standing that refers to you being in or on something, kind of like those signs on the street that say no standing which doesn't mean that you're not you like you have to lay down, but <laughs> it just means you're, you you're, can't you're be... paused and you're and you're uh, like you're parked somewhere. That's so right. That's right. Yeah. You can't you can't just be in your car there. So he's he's there in his car, his uh, his nice you know uh, red Mustang, right <laughs> 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 there among the myrtle trees, um, standing there. Um, and there's other horses as as well. And and then this is the thing that is was really kind of the thing that made me say, hang on, what? So then, you know, Zechariah is talking and then just kind of casually, it's like, oh yeah, then the angel who's who's there talking with me. So all of a sudden there's Zechariah and at least two other figures among like horses and others all in this vision all at once, all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And and we might tell the listeners that sorrel, a sorrel is like a chestnut or a, it's sort of uh, a... Yeah. A more of a, a reddish. Uh, well, it, it's it's not red, but it's a uh, it's sort of a um, uh, you know a, a different color from red. Well, right. Well, and, and even red is like you know. I mean, it's not like you know uh, Clifford the big red dog red. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be more of a subdued. I mean, I mean ruddy tinted brown right but i mean yes, so yeah, just yes. just different kinds of you know this is just kind of horse lingo in terms of, of their colors um but 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 right that you you have all these different horses um among these myrtle trees so it's just, there's an awful lot of figures in this dream that have been very quickly introduced in the span of like two verses three verses here and uh so so you have this angel though who's speaking to him and who's who's not just a figure in the dream but is the the figure who's helping Zechariah to interpret things and that right. that is actually one of the things that is sort of I don't, I don't know what characteristic of these later visions that you see right Bec- these little later dreams because you know in like for instance Genesis and Joseph Joseph doesn't have angels in his dreams that are telling him what things mean or where there's kind of this back and forth um, sort of um, dialogue. You, you see that in Daniel. You see that here yes. in Zechariah. Of course, you really see that, that kind of this kind of these interpreting figures um, in Revelation. But th- this is actually, again, one of these little things that seems to kind of be, oh, yeah, this is sort of this kind of later style here. Right. It's called like apocalyptic literature or an apocalyptic mm-hmm. style. And then there are, of course, uh, the uh, books of uh, there of the apocrypha, um, mm-hmm. the hidden books, uh, and then then you have the books of the pseudepigrapha, which are which also have um, you know books like this, like Enoch, um, you know, right. book of Enoch, and and um, well, they they say that the book of Revelation is uh, the least that it, you know the least self-explained, or that that the explaining you know here. Here in Zechariah, you have the angel giving the interpretation right away, but in, in Revelation, right. it isn't always there. It's it's uh, just just plain vision, and um, so that's that that shows kind of the the um, variety of this of this literature, right? And, and, and well, and, and actually, then speaking of the angel, right? It's it's interesting because when, when you have you know uh, the angel who talked with me, right? 
um, it's sort of weird that it it's it can sound weird because it's like, hang on a second, what do you mean the angel who's talking with you? There, there's an angel talking with you, like you haven't introduced this at all. Um, yeah. But it, it seems like the implication already is that there are multiple angels. Um, and in fact, yeah. the man who is riding the red horse is, in fact, uh, well, and we'll talk about this more, um, an angel of yeah. some kind. Um, and that there are perhaps actually other angel riders on these other horses as well. So there's there's actually perhaps a number of angels, but there's only one in particular who's actually talking to Zechariah. So um, it, it's really going to be key to try to keep everybody straight um, as we go forward. So uh, it worked out well to actually take a pause before proceeding <clears throat> to the next few verses. So... So he asked the question to the angel who's who's going to be the one talking to him. Um, and then, so the the man, the figure, who's on the red horse among the myrtle trees answers, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth, in verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was sitting, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. All right, pausing there just to help us keep straight things here. So... Okay, we, we have we have the man on the red horse, uh, and then we have the angel who's talking with Zechariah. And and now all of a sudden we have the description, the angel of the Lord, and that seems to have been equated with the man on the red horse. Yes. And and uh, of course it's also um as some would, would describe it, a pre incarnate um appearance of of christ uh, or uh, right. know, the angel the malach yahweh the angel of the lord uh who has you know he's he has very great prerogatives and and has the power and the uh, prestige of of yahweh right and, and we because we've seen this before and and we saw it you know when it, when it was in joshua right that there there's this it and it's really interesting. It's very similar, actually. The first description you have in Joshua is that, you know, Joshua's, you know, they're, they're coming up to Jericho, and there's this there's this man, it says, who's standing in, in their path, right? And he goes up to this man and, you know, asks him, hey, what are you, whose side are you on? And he's like, well, I'm not on anybody's side because I'm the commander of the Lord's armies, right? Um, and, and then, right, there's just later, I, I think it's actually in the next chapter that you have the description that the Lord says. So, this is this is this kind of pattern that you get the same thing that we had with Abraham. I mean, if you do read that back in Genesis, that at first it, it's just described uh, that it's he's like there's there's a man who's there, and then later it's like oh hang on this is the angel of the Lord. So same sort of pattern where this angel of the Lord character is someone who by first appearances looks like a man, looks like a military man. He's some kind of commander, like you were saying, like the prerogative that he has. He seems to be in charge of the other angels um, yep. and to be very particularly closely identified with the Lord such that he can just speak on his behalf sort of directly. Um, 
all of these things, right, as to your point, reasons why it, it's not just like, oh, like, well, if you see angel of the Lord, just kind of like, you know, cut and paste Jesus there. There's actually like these thematic reasons why it seems like, well, I mean, think think about this, someone who closely is associated with the Lord, who can speak on his behalf, who is in charge of the angels, like, that just sounds like the Lord Jesus, actually. Yes, exactly. Of course, so, it, it's different in in um, in the New Testament, of course, and then yes. Christ is incarnate and so on. And and um, but but here in the Old Testament, it's 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 a uh, you know in in anticipation of his his ultimate uh, incarnation, and uh, you know. Right. Uh, usually, usually these angels are also um, described, as, you know, as men, or you know, in other mm-hmm. words, they're 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 um, visible, and and they and they take a, a bodily form in this manner. Right. Well, and that, and that's a good point too, because you know, someone who's reading this could be very easily confused. That hang on a second, verse ten said he was a man. And, uh, and now verse 12 saying he's an angel. What's going on there? Well, I mean, the Hebrew isn't really like that. I mean, it just says in verse 10, it just says, you know, Haish. And Ish is just kind of like the guy. I mean, it just, it really just right. kind of refers to a person, a figure, right? It doesn't necessarily say, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say, right, like, you know, Ha'adam or something like that. Like, you know, right. or it doesn't it doesn't say like the, the mortal or the human or something like this it's just exactly, kind of exactly. The, yes the guy um and then similarly in, in verse 12 when he when it talks about angels i mean the word is just the word for messenger and Correct. messenger is very often just a a human being in in hebrew so there's no incompatibility here in the hebrew uh, it, by all appearances he he looks like a a guy of some kind right we know he's a messenger um, there's there's not really a kind of ontological distinction between like you know is is he a human being or is he or is he some kind of spiritual being that's not what the language is really trying to get across though exactly. certainly he's he's not any mortal man though and, and, and I think the the idea though is that they're they're sort of um, agents or or um, Persons that work for Yahweh, uh, work for, or that are are appointed by Yahweh to, and, and to serve His people. Right. Well, and you get that really strongly. Then, so that, so then the next kind of piece of the puzzle kind of helps uh, fall into place when when you have the question, and and then the the man, the writer, um, the angel of the Lord on the red horse says, you know, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And it says, and they answered. So apparently, right, um, the other angel riders that are on the other red sorrel and white horses that were just mentioned, right, Um, and who say that we have patrolled the earth, which is something that you get in other books of the Bible, like Daniel and uh, particularly, actually, even Job, where you yes. have this idea that God has angels who are sent to patrol the earth, kind of that idea, like you were saying, of like working for or under His command. Yes, and and like well, it was in in the case of Job, it was uh, uh, Satan that well, you know right. maybe maybe before before he fell or you know he he had um, um, you know that type of responsibility as as an angel of god right 
Right. So, I mean, so it's a very, it's very much like this, this, this kind of military image that, you know, God is, I mean, I mean, of course we, we've had the description Yahweh Sabaoth. And what does that mean? I mean, it means general Yahweh, right? I mean, the, the commander of the armies. Um, so yeah. it's a very much like a military image. And we have here um, this image of these troops under his command. Um, and, and then see, but this is then the thing that is, was maybe the thing that struck me the most about the whole exchange so the angel of the Lord then calls out to the Lord directly, um, which is not a move I feel like that you see very often in the Old Testament when it comes to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord just seems to just go ahead and just speak on behalf right. of the Lord directly. Um, but here he he addresses him um, with, with this question, how long will you have no mercy? And then in verse 13, this is the kind of thing that's kind of mysterious here. It says that the Lord answered. And, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> hang on, what? Like, uh, how, how did the Lord answer? Um, mm. I mean, it says, it says that he spoke with these gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me, right? But there's, like, no description of, like, the voice or, hang on a second, where is, where's God in this image, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's kind of mysterious, I think, how the Lord is actually communicating with this um, interlocutor angel, Right. And, well, and, and this is sort of like uh, the, the intercession. It's kind of like an intercession. So the angel of the Lord is interceding for God's people. And so that's kind of like an, uh, you know, an action of the Son of God who always is making intercession for us at the right hand of God. And, and right. so, yeah, and, 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 and that, that shows you know, that as Christ is God in his mercy who is there for us and who is interceding for us. That, that, that's an excellent point. You, you see, because it is this little unique moment of, of how um, the angel of the Lord is, is depicted here, you get to see this other side of him, right? He, like he isn't just the, the commander, right, who, who fights um, the, these battles and, you know, is closely associated with the Lord or, or is the Lord, but he's also somehow the one who intercedes. Um, and, and you see that uh, here, and, and we wouldn't have had this clear of a depiction of the angel of the Lord functioning this way were it not for um, Zechariah. So uh, really, really key thing uh, to notice here, just in its uniqueness. So, okay. So I, I think we got through verse 13. Was it verse 13? Uh, no, I'm trying to remember it here. I think we got through verse 13. So let's let's pick it up at 14 here and just take it to the end of this section. So the angel who talked with me said, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So uh, certainly just gospel words of comfort here, uh, very similar to actually Haggai there at the end, choosing Jerusalem, right? Um, not just the chosen leader or the, the chosen king or the chosen you know governor, but the chosen people, 
right? He, God is affirming that just because circumstances have changed, um, the fact that Israel is his chosen people has not. And it's a very similar theme to Daniel, too, that, yes, he used the nation's to he used them as instruments of discipline, but they went too far. Right. It's time for that to be corrected. I mean, I mean, a theme that you see in Daniel, and also like we saw that again and again in Isaiah. Right? They they went too far, and so now they need to be put into their place. Well, probably, you know, Haggai, of course, is dealing with uh, what what are our actions, or what are the actions on earth that the people of God should carry out. And Zechariah is pointing out here that it is also uh, that it is part and parcel of also what's going on in heaven with God, that that uh, God is directing all of these things. You see what's going on in the world, Haggai says, and then and Zechariah, as the twin prophet, comes and says, uh, "Now this is this is how God his his perspective and what God is doing and how God uh, is." Um, shall we say how he feels or how he uh, how he is disposed toward his people, and and so it's a, it's it's just w- the words of comfort is the fact that this God is on your side, right. um, God God will um, uh, you know and and so you can see you see what's going on uh, in Jerusalem that uh, the temple is being built, and then uh, it is God who says I have chosen it, and and I'm not and I'm not happy with the way the nations have gone too far in in what they've done right right yeah i like the way you're putting it that it's showing god's you know how god feels about the situation right you know that that he's actually by by saying this it's revealing that god didn't take any pleasure in the nations doing that to israel right i mean like it was necessary and you know there the punishment right the curse of the law that they I mean, called upon themselves, right? In Joshua, right? If we recall, mm-hmm. um, that had to come come to pass. But God didn't like it. He, he didn't like any of it, even if it was seventy years. Um, it, it wasn't what He wanted for His people. So yeah, it, it is. It is so helpful that you have both perspectives. You know, Haggai saying, "Hey guys, this is what you got to do. Things are a mess because again of sin, which persists, um, just like your fathers." But Zechariah coming in also to say, hey, look, guys, there's this other perspective going on, like completes the picture, the two working together. So don't have a lot of time here, but let's look at just the last little section here, um, because all of a sudden then the the vision shifts. And the second um, second vision, it's a second vision. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's that's fair. It's like uh, it's um, it's still different from like what follows because it's not the temple imagery stuff, right? So we're still before um, those things are going to start happening in chapters two, three, and four, and five, right? But but yeah, it's a different, very different image here. So verse eighteen, and I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, "What are these?" And he said to me. These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So, right. So, yeah, it is uh, definitely um, helpful to kind of think of it as a different vision in the sense of uh, it's not 
uh, we're not talking about the horses anymore, right? Right. Um, and in fact, well, we might be new... talking about rams or or goats <laughs> well, or or, yeah. or or cattle in some kind. Right. Right. Yeah, but and it's even a new chapter in in Hebrew. Uh, but the the thing that does kind of actually make sense about putting in the same chapter in English anyway um, is that we're still kind of talking about this idea of Jerusalem and, and Zion and um, Isaiah and Judah being scattered. Um, having been oppressed from the outside, and now that's going to get reversed here. The four craftsmen are going to undo the work of the four horns. And of course, if you're thinking about you know, what we've read so far on Thy Strong Word, that four horns stuff, uh, that, that kind of sounds familiar of what we heard in Daniel about those different horns that were oppressing the people of God. Yes. Like and then and that you know the after uh, you know Alexander the Great is like the still the there, brother. Ram. Yes, yes. I'm. Are you still? Are you oh, okay. Still yeah. No, I think I think it cut out for a second there. But yeah, just just a, a minute left here. So you were just saying about like uh, the the significance Ale- of Alexander the, horns. the Great as it was yep. pictured as a as a ram that uh, you know, and so also the, uh, the these are these are a picture of the powers of of um, the nations. And and uh, you know God's got them in control. He's going to send sends the craftsmen that it's going to maybe cut them off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Someone who who can take a tool to these horns and um, you know cut cut them down. And um, I mean, yeah. And of course, in Daniel, we saw how you know I mean there was this image of just uh, destroying the horns, right? Or um, or, or just like destroying the beast with the horns, so that you know it was nothing but like a skeleton that was left, right? But yeah, yeah, like four four craftsmen to undo the work of these uh, four horns. Um, the four craftsmen uh, apparently like angel powers who are undoing the work of the fallen angels. Exactly. So all, all in all, though, as, as you were saying, definitely just a strong focus on God's mercy, on what God's heart, how what he feels about the situation, um, as most clearly depicted as you drew our attention to the work of the Lord of hosts um, being uh, invoked in the intercession of the angel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, brother. Good having you back, and thank you for starting a new book of the Bible with us, and looking forward to having you on again soon. Everybody, that was Pastor David Boyce Clare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Thanks for joining us. So cool. We're moving on to the next visions. Wow. Until next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.